Hey, good morning. It is good to be together as we worship the Lord and open the word and see what God might be saying to us on this drizzly Sunday morning. But glad you're here. You're going to want a Bible. So if you have a Bible, go on and open up to Genesis chapter 2. If you need a Bible, we have some people that will walk around and uh, just slip up a hand and we'll get a Bible to you so you can follow along. But as you're finding your way there to Genesis chapter 2, this week I had the opportunity to uh, go up to the North Georgia mountains for a little while. My wife worked for the city of Monroe, and um, there was a downtown association conference for the state that was up there. And went and joined her for the final night. The city of Monroe won two awards in the state of Georgia in case, uh, yeah, so be proud of your little hometown. But um, and so we got to go up there, but beautiful drive. I mean, absolutely just gorgeous driving up through the mountains. But the entire time I was on the phone with our other lead pastors. So Grace Monroe is uh, one of uh, 10 Grace churches spread throughout mainly the Atlanta area, but throughout the, the uh, United States. And, uh, and uh, the conversation was, how do we respond to all of the crises and the chaos of this past week? From Haiti to Afghanistan. What is our grace family response? Like, how do we respond with compassion? What are even the real needs? How do you step in for the people of God? What does this mean for the fledgling church in a place like Afghanistan where it is uh, punishable by death to convert to Christianity? Or in Haiti where it's such uh, economic and political turmoil, not just for this week or even this year, but for decades. And, And that... Those two opposite extremes, the, the, the beauty of creation that surrounded me, and yet it doesn't take long to look around the globe and see the pain and the chaos of this world. Now, practically, some of you ask, so how are we responding? And, and we do have ministry partners in both of those places. Uh, Grace New Hope has partnered for a number of years, specifically has uh, deep roots of relationship and ministry in Haiti. And so we're working with some people on the ground there to figure out what will be our collective response to help meet some of those immediate needs there. Uh, That's what Grace does. We just step in where there's need. Afghanistan, we have partners on the ground there, actually, in Afghanistan. And and so we're working with several different organizations also to figure out um, what this week will be our response to care for the, the family and the children that are so affected by what's going on over there as well as there's a huge number of Afghani uh, refugees already in the Atlanta area that we have ministry, decades of ministry with uh, in Clarkston. And so we will let you know, pay attention to our socials, uh, and we will keep you informed on how to engage there, uh, what is our godly, Jesus-focused response. But the most important thing we can do is pray. And so specifically, I want to pray today for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, uh, and for those that are bringing the good news of Jesus into that place. Now, I, I know that in general, like when you hear Afghanistan, what comes to mind maybe was decades of war and violence, suffering. We also have to remember that it is God's created human beings that live in that place that are affected so deeply, not just by what has happened over the last few days, but for a long time now. Afghanistan is actually one of the least reached nations on earth. 
It is 99.9% Muslim. And if you've been a part of Grace for any length of time, you know that God has uniquely given our church a heart and a vision to reach the Muslim world. There are 72 unreached people groups in that one country. Roughly 48,000 mosques and zero church buildings. And so we pray that the gospel would go forward. And, uh, and Stalls from Grace Neville shared this with me. It, it, we're actually sharing it across our family. But it is a prayer for that nation from an Afghani follower of Jesus. And so my uh, invitation to us as a church here in Monroe, the small town in Walton County, Georgia, is that we would pray for our brothers and sisters across the world. And so I want to pr- play this, this prayer. And I, as you listen Uh, As you watch, that your hearts, I'm inviting your hearts to join in in prayer with this uh, Afghani national as he prays for his people. And then I ask that this week we commit as a church to praying for uh, the crises that are going on around the world. And that God would make himself known in powerful ways in the midst of very painful places. So let's watch this together and let's enter our hearts into prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are kind and faithful. We thank you that you loved us. Father, we love you. And you know that from past 40 years, our country Afghanistan is in war. Men, women, children are burning and dying every day. Evil forces are forged ahead from every direction and want to destroy this great nation. But Jesus, you are the King of Peace, and we ask you to establish peace on this land. Touch the hearts of all those who want to fight. We ask you to help the Afghan government and its allies turn all their plans for peace positive. And dear Lord, Give the Afghan nation wisdom to feel and recognize you that they would understand the human rights. Dear Jesus, all these are possible with love. And we know that you are the God of love and you have the power. O Messiah, as we know that nothing can be solved with fight, And we believe that nationwide peace is very important for our country, Afghanistan. We ask you, Father, to establish a social and political peace in this country. All these will be possible when you touch the hearts. Lord, for the sake of human and human blood, help all forces to know and respect you. Jesus, we ask you that as you enter Jerusalem under the motto of Hosanna, enter Kabul the same way, each valley and mountain of Afghanistan. Establish peace, enrich the people with education, Lord, bring stability. And please, Lord, take away the ignorance of this country. Lord, We strongly believe that everything is in your mighty hands. 
and we ask all this in your precious and mighty name jesus amen suffering. Lord, we know that your heart is with the broken, with the oppressed. And Lord, we also know that one day you will wipe away every tear. There will be no more suffering and no more death. And so we wait eagerly for that day. And Lord, in the meantime, may we be people who bring peace and hope, love, sacrifice, light into the darkness. And so, Lord, will you show us, both in our response to what's going on around the world, but also in our own neighborhoods, in our own city, the places of pain and brokenness, that we would embody the good news of Jesus Christ for this world. So will you work, and we've seen you do it, Lord. People movements out of what seemed like nothing, Lord. We pray for a movement of discipleship of faith in Jesus Christ that would surprise us. That we look at and go, how did that happen? Think about the underground church in China, the emerging church out of Russia, or the places that seem shut down and impossible that you still moved by your Holy Spirit. So we, Lord, we ask, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray, amen. So it also felt appropriate that looking at this juxtaposition of beauty and pain that we began a study in the book of Genesis with this question of what did God create us for? I mean, because we look at this, it's like this can't be the way it was meant to be. Amen? Every human, whether they believe in God or not, there's something in in our hearts that tell us this is not right. This can't be. This echo of Eden, that there had to be something else, especially in this area of human relationships. And we see that on a global level, but we know that on a very personal level, don't we? That our hearts long for connection and intimacy, to be known together. And yet at the same time, if we're honest, the greatest places of wounding and regret so often in our lives are precisely in that area of human relationships. Amen? We know that. This longing and yet this pain. And so so we go back to this place. All right, God, then what did you intend? And then even just as important, what is Jesus inviting us into? How is Jesus restoring God's created design? So Genesis chapter 2, set the stage. Genesis 1, God speaks and brings the world into existence. He forms and then he fills. And then he, he, at the, the pinnacle of creation, he creates humanity, male and female, the masculine and the feminine, representing the goodness and the character, the heart of God, created in his image, his reflection, to co-reign 
this world with him, to take the potential and the beauty and the goodness of his creation out to the ends of the earth. That's the invitation from the beginning. And then Genesis 2, if you think about like a movie, it's like Genesis 1 was planet Earth. I mean, it was zooming over the cosmos, and you see trees and vegetation and animals and, and the seas that form and the skies and planets. And then Genesis 2 is like the, the scene resets, and it zooms in, not on the Earth as a whole, but on this little spot of land, the garden that God created. And not just the creation of humanity, but the forming of a man and a woman. And in that template of Genesis 2, we can begin to understand what God intended when it comes to human flourishing and human relationship. So I'm going to read some, and then we'll kind of dive in and then see what God might have to say to us. God had finished the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day, he rests, and that word rest is that he moves in, he settles, his presence descends on the creation that he made. And then in verse 5, this zooming in on the story, this retelling. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, the land is still barren. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. That word work is important because later on we're going to get a different word for work, that is toil. But this word work is more like cultivate. It carries with it a sense of pleasure and delight. Not like you may be thinking, oh, tomorrow morning i got to go to work. That's toil. This isn't that kind of work. This would be like if you love gardening, getting to be like, man, I get to go work in the yard today. But you see there's this thing missing. There's this relationship already being established between mankind and creation. There's something lacking without man there to cultivate the, the ground. But there's this mist going up from the land. And it was watering the whole face of the ground. And then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what do we see? Well, first that God sets the stage for relationship. God prepares the man and then God prepares the place. We see that God, this intimate interaction, this relationship first between God and his creation. As God forms, God breathes into this intimate act. Uh, it's not just this man is a natural being from the dust of the earth, but there's this spiritual nature that carries the very breath of God. We're more than our bodies. And it's interesting how much energy and effort we put trying to keep these bodies as fit and young as we possibly can. I mean, I just think about like, the, the general uh, stream of feed that you get on your social media networks. What is most of it trying to tell you? Here's how to look good and feel good, right? 
And this isn't new. I mean, how many of y'all went and got, saw Disney's Jungle Cruise? The whole thing is about no one. None of y'all have seen Jungle Cruise yet? Oh, it's not free yet. We are so spoiled. I want all the movies, and I want them now, and I want them free. <laughs> anyway, all right, we're not getting into Jungle Cruise. <laughs> it's all about the search for the tree of life, for a tree of healing. That goes back to the, the earliest stories of creation, this idea that the, the search for the fountain of youth. I mean, we've been trying to find the key to youth and flourishing for centuries now. Our skin care and essential oils are nothing new. But we're more than our bodies. We're also a soul. And so God forms and creates. He breathes into this intimate act of creating the man. And unlike all of the rest of creation that God speaks and it comes into existence, God doesn't speak at or in front of the man. God speaks to the man. That there's this interaction, this connection between God and this human that he has formed. So he prepares the man and then he prepares the place. We get this garden, a garden of abundance, the garden of Eden. That word literally means delight. Actually, in the Hebrew, it means pleasure. And so I was going to define it as it's a garden of pleasure. But then as soon as I said that, I was like, that sounds like one of those cheesy reality shows, you know. So I'm trying to get this idea. We have pleasure now that we've kind of, kind of made like this titillating, exciting sort of pleasurable thing, but this idea is that it's flourishing, it's abundant, it is everything that our hearts crave. It is the satisfaction of our souls in this place with God. And it is there in this place of deep delight and abundance that God places the man. And there's all kinds of trees, and they're both beautiful and beneficial. They're not just good for food, but they're also good to look at. We're provided for, protected, and then given a purpose, a role to, to cultivate and to care for this creation with the creator who made it. There's two named trees in this garden of delights. One, the tree of life. One, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Those are going to become really important later in the story. But what we see is that the center of creation God has placed life and a choice. And that will echo through the rest of the Bible. Psychologists say that there are three core needs in every human being. Beyond just food and breathing, air and shelter. The things that we think of as our basic essential needs. But at the, the heart of every soul, there's the need for belonging. To know that I'm accepted as I am. There's a need for, for meaning, that I have value, that I'm treasured. And then there's a need for security, that I have a place. And in the Garden of Eden, God sets all three of them. Belonging, acceptance, meaning, value, and security. That God alone meets 
all of these needs. This is critical. If we're going to understand, because the point isn't just an interesting Bible story. The question is, what does this mean for human flourishing, the, the relationships that God designed us to experience? And we see right here the template for this begins that all of our base needs were met in God first. And that every other relationship flows out of that primary relationship. That we must first learn how to be sons before we can learn to be husbands and fathers, even brothers. That we must first learn how to be daughters before we can learn how to be wives and mothers and sisters. And that if we get this out of order, then we will demand that the other relationships give us what they were never meant to. And we will exist in frustration and bitterness. And if we're really honest... That may define some of the anxiety and turmoil that we feel in our hearts and lives even right now. There's a, a great pastoral counselor, and I say pastoral counselor because he's not just like a pastor that does counseling. He's a counselor that works with pastors and uh, named Chip Dodd, and he wrote a book about our core needs talking about what does it mean to, or where are the places that we go to get these needs met, these counterfeits, and this great line. That if we expect our wives to satisfy our core needs as men, we will either turn them into mothers or mistresses. Y'all must not have heard that, because that's good. If we expect our wives to satisfy our core needs as men, we will either turn them into mothers or mistresses. But despite that God created us to live in harmony, intimacy, he's meeting the needs of this man, he, he's set him in this place, he's given him purpose and responsibility, he re there's still more that God wants for us. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. The first not good in the Genesis account that is so saturated with, and it was good, and it was good, and it was very good, but then this is not good. And the second point, if God is setting the stage for relationship, is this, that God sees what we need. God sees what we need. And we need connection. As human beings, we were created to be not just in relationship with God, but with one another. When was the last time that you felt lonely? I mean, one thing that the whole pandemic did was isolate. And we see that it's epidemic now, and especially amongst our, our, our youth and kids, this, this sense of isolation and loneliness. But for you personally, and you know that maybe you've had this experience of, like, being in a, crowd of room, a, crowd, a crowded room and still feeling alone. And our tendency it, when we feel lonely is to immediately think, What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? But listen, this is important. There is nothing wrong 
with feeling lonely. In fact, you're feeling exactly how God made you to feel. That every time you feel lonely, it is an echo of God. It is not good for man to be alone. That loneliness, in fact, is the gift that calls us into relationship. God sees what we need. And God knows what we need. I will make a helper fit for him. And Jesus will say later that your Father in heaven knows what you need even before you ask for it. And so if you're struggling relationally, you want to get married and you're not married, you want children, you don't have children, your children are gone now, your friends have moved away, or you've moved and now you find yourself in a new place. The temptation is I'm going to have to figure this out for myself. Or the temptation is, there's something broken and wrong with me. And instead, see our loneliness as an invitation to draw close to the God that sees what you need, knows what you need, and is good. We have a tendency to treat the things that we feel as if like that, they're the problem. If I could just get rid of this feeling of loneliness... It's almost like a, the emotions are actually our, uh, our, our spiritual nervous network. And it would be the same as if, uh, if I put my hand on a hot stove and my hand started burning and that was a lot of pain and I didn't like it. And I started praying, God, will you take away the pain? God, I hate this pain. Why did you make me to experience pain? Instead of recognizing that that pain is actually pointing to something greater, something more important. That guy's calling attention to something. And in the same way, what we feel is like the, the engine lights that come on the dashboard of our car. They give an indication, God, there's something going on here. And so instead of praying, God, just take the loneliness away. God, take the, the sadness away. God, take whatever this thing is away, this pain that I'm feeling. The question becomes, God, what do you want me to know? God, what's going on there? Let's pull, up, let's pull over to the side. Let's lift the, the hood a little bit and let's take a look. God, what's going on? But the reality is also that emotions are great indicators. They're terrible drivers. And so we lift the lid and we go to God and let loneliness be an invitation into relationship. So God sees what we need and then God helps us see what we need. God's set creation in motion and now he brings man into it with him. The Lord says, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. And so you see this process that God creates everything. Here, I made this, now you name it. It's an invitation into relationship with God, into that co-working experience with God. But it's also an act of discovery. Because there's one thing for God to see Adam's need. It's another thing for Adam to recognize Adam's need. Which seems to be the point of all the naming. 
That over and over again, he's looking at this creation and he's recognizing it's what it is and its significance. And yet at the same time, it's not what he's looking for. And the same for us. If it's up to us to figure out what we need and to, to meet our own needs, then we're going to go run after what seems like the easiest solution. But when we trust that God sees our needs and God is helping us see our need and we go to him, Lord, what is it that you're creating me for? What do you have for me? then we're open and receptive when he actually brings that to us. So Adam's over there naming all the animals. You can tell like, he kind of starts to get bored in the process a little bit. You know, at first he's sort of like, you know, hippopotamus. Ooh, that sounds good. Elephant, rhinoceros. And then it's like pig, cow, dog, Right? And you look at these dogs, and dogs are man's best friend. But we all know that dogs are lacking. I mean, some people, you know, whether they're fur babies or whatever, they require no real emotional effort. But there's something that's still lacking, even in our greatest connection to our favorite pets. But the amazing thing is, is Adam submits to the process. Why? He has nothing to worry about. He trusts the God that has given him belonging and meaning, value, purpose, place, and responsibility. So if there's something lacking in his life, there's a God that he can trust. So surely God knows what he needs. And if it's not there yet, there must be something else. He's not striving. He's not anxious. Why? Because he's getting from God first. So in a COVID season, how has this year helped us see what we need? How has it drawn out, highlighted for you? A lot of people coming back to church and the first thing they're asking is, all right, where are the groups? There's this longing for community to be connected to other people. And so once God's process has helped Adam see his need, now God is ready to meet it because Adam is ready to recognize what God is doing. And so we get this amazing final act of creation. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed. A familiar passage, and it's easy to look at, oh, that's a cute story. But there are some deep truths in this account of the creation of woman. First is this, that God works in our waiting. The first mention of sleep in the Bible is right here, that God causes Adam to go into a deep sleep. So what is Adam doing to meet his, his uh, unmet need? Nothing. <laughs> He's sleeping. He's trusting God. God works in our waiting. Sometimes we think we don't have time to sleep, that we've got to solve. But God actually does his best work while we're resting. 
There's an act of trust, of vulnerability. And right now you may feel lonely, which is normal. And you may be in the process of learning from God what you actually need, which is also healthy. And you may feel like you're not getting anywhere fast, but can you trust that God is at work? And he takes out of the man's side. There's a vulnerability that trusts God with his heart first. He opens him up. And then he takes from his rib. He's not just, not just a place of vulnerability, but a place of strength. The rib, the strongest bone in the body. And the part that protects his heart. Bone and flesh. Strength and vulnerability. And they're the same. They're of each other, but they're also different, distinct, and unique. And God takes from alongside of the man, not, the, not from the head or the foot. Matthew Henry, this old commentator, wrote, not, man, not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. There's a powerful image of the space from which God meets the need of the man, this desire for relationship, to be known and to be loved. And then God closes him back up, that there's healing in the process. Because we all know that relationships cost. That to love is to commit to pain. That the two go hand in hand because there's a giving There's a sacrifice in truly opening our heart up to another. We're also opening our heart for hurt. And sometimes the loss of that rib can lead to a hardened heart. That this relationship literally tears a hole in Adam's side. C.S. Lewis writes in his Four Loves, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything. And your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And so we're looking at this account as a template for relationships, for what God designed us for. And we see that first God meets the man's needs. And out of that place, he he invites the man to recognize his own need and to trust God with the process of meeting that need. That God provides for the man. And in that place of potential wounding, God is the one that brings healing. And that is not the response of a hardened heart, but a heart of flesh, of vulnerability. So God brings what the man needs. And realize this isn't just about husbands and wives. Though it is also about that. And we see even from the first pages of the Bible, the Christian sexual ethic is that intimacy, sexual intimacy is confined within the context of covenant marriage between man and woman. But there's an important question that we must ask about what does sexual wholeness look like in every stage of life? 
for preteens, young marrieds, old couples, widows. But this account, yes, about husbands and wives, about intimacy and marriage, but it's also primarily about God and mankind. How do we become the kind of people who are able to have healthy relationships? And it begins with wholeness with God. That we recognize and receive from him our identity and our calling. And then we enter into that relationship from a position of vulnerability and strength. That I'm not demanding from you because I'm already getting my core needs met from the only one that can actually provide. And the things that we try to take by force or by manipulation are actually simply an attempt to get from others what we can only truly get from God. Belonging, value, security. When working with couples in crisis, the first thing that you do with that couple is not begin to work on the marriage. You don't even begin to work on the guy and his role as a husband or the girl and her role as a wife. The first thing you do is you begin to work on who they are as a man and a woman related to God. And then from that place of healing and wholeness with God, you then begin stage two to, to work on, so what does that mean as a man to be a husband? And what does that mean as a wife, as a woman to be a wife? And then third, you finally turn the two towards each other and say, okay, now what does your marriage look like? So often when we're struggling in relationships or marriage, we want to focus on this or on the other person changing. Or if they would only do this or become that or not do this, then this thing would work. But the invitation from the first pages of Scripture is that the answers and the solutions, the things our souls are craving, are not going to be found in fixing the other. They're going to be found when we're rightly related to the, God, the only one, God, who can give us what our souls crave. So what is our role in this? First is this, that we recognize God's work. Adam says to God's final incredible pinnacle of creation, this woman, this is at last the one of me. My bone of bone and flesh of flesh. Strength and vulnerability. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Separate and yet together. He recognizes the missing part of himself in another. And he recognizes God's work is the foundation of relationship. And marriages go off the rails when we, be, when we stop recognizing the work of God in others. There's a marriage therapist named John Gottman. He's a really well-renowned. Uh, in fact, what he's known for is that he has what's called the love lab, which sounds way more exciting than it actually is. But uh, So in the love lab, if he takes a couple and he kind of videos their interactions. And, and based on watching the videos of their interactions, he can predict with 90% accuracy whether that couple will still be married in five years. And that consistency has been decades now in the making. By watching the way they interact. And what he's come to find out is that we need to thrive in relationship, a, a ratio of five to one positive to negative interactions. And that even if that one negative interaction is a total blow up, you know, yelling, uh, run out the door fight, that ratio of five to one, they're going to be okay. We start dipping down into there, then we start to have problems. That we need to connect to engage. 
that Adam recognizes God's work. And that's a very positive interaction. He speaks the words of life and blessing over this woman that God has provided. And he recognizes where she came from and who she belongs to. So he recognizes and then he receives. And this final word or phrase, they were naked and without shame, fully known and fully loved, fully known and fully loved. And in human relationships, every human being you meet on the planet, even the nastiest biker gang dude on his Harley, at the core of his soul is crying out to be known and to be loved. Everyone you interact with. That jerk cashier at the grocery store, that mean boss, that lazy employee, that good for nothing 13 year old that lives with you, at their core is a desire to be known and to be loved at your core. Even if, unlike what C.S. Lewis recommended, you've taken that heart of yours and you've protected it and guarded it, and those wounds have not been closed up with flesh, but have been closed up with armor, and we masquerade as anger or pride or jealousy or bitterness, that thing that we've wrapped our hearts in, at the core of your being is the desire to be known and be loved. But what does this story start with? God. God, who sees you and knows you, and loves you, that sees what you need, helps you see what you need, if we're listening, brings us what we need, if we're watching. And it doesn't take long before we screw this whole thing up. In the first place of, of pain and chaos that is brought into the world as a result of mankind turning their back on God, is in this area of relationship. First between the man and woman, then out to the family, then out to community, then all of society. And then Jesus shows up and makes this crazy claim, I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. What is that echoing? Maybe the tree of life in the garden of abundance. And Jesus says, this thing that you think you've lost, that you think is up to you to make work, I've come that you could have it again. Why? Because the same template still works. We go first to the God that made us and can make us whole. And it is from his side and his wounds that we find healing and strength. God who took on flesh, made himself vulnerable to us and yet carries with him the power to defeat sin and death. God is restoring us back into life and God is restoring us back into relationship. And so for us right now, the question becomes, God, what do you want me to know? <laughs> Where are the places of pain where are the places I've closed my heart first to you and then also to others? Where are the places that I need to invite you in? And it's from that place that we first confess 
that we're honest. Even as we're listening, as we're reading this text, the things that are coming to mind, God, man, yeah, I've done that. Or I've given up on this. To be honest, Lord, this is where I am. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm struggling with. I'm lost. I feel alone. I'm desperate. I'm struggling. And then we turn. We turn to the only one that can actually meet the deepest needs of our soul. To find healing and wholeness. And we receive. From the eternal giver. The one that we belong to. So I want to pray for us. We're going to keep worshiping together. And we just want to create space. This time that we come together as a community, it's important that we're with one another. It's not just simply about checking something off our task list of things that we do throughout the week. But I encourage you, before you leave this building, to just look somebody in the eye. Be present with each other. In the same way that even right now we, we calm our hearts and we're still before God to be present with the one who made us. As a church family, we recognize that relationships are key to healthy, abundant life. And so tonight, uh, there's a, a group that has started. They're just one weekend, so it's not too late to jump in. It's called Reengage, And it's focused on bringing God's healing and wholeness, God's uh, flourishing into our marriage relationships. We had 14 couples, I believe, that, were, that showed up this past Sunday. And uh, invite you, if that is interesting to you, if that's a place that you look at, you're like, man, we need to invite God into this. Whether we're doing well and we just want to do better, or we're really struggling and we need somebody to help us Climb out of this pit. In a few weeks, as Brandon mentioned, these learning communities, hearing God, learning to be receptive to the voice of God. If I'm, what I'm talking about, like that we recognize the voice of God in our life, and you're going, what in the world is that about? I don't hear uh, Morgan Freeman talking to me from the clouds. So hearing God is a community and a learning community space of learning what does it mean from the Bible to recognize and respond to the voice of God in our life. Unique. We're talking about what it means to walk in strength and confidence, the identity that God made us and the calling that he's sending us out on into the world. And you're like, man, I don't know who that is. I don't know who I am. Braves fan? What am I supposed to do with that? Unique is all about just beginning to name and articulate. Okay, who, how did God uniquely wire you to walk with him? Knowing the Bible, the story of scripture and how it, uh, this story speaks into our life today. And then one other one that's amazing that I can't think of right now that's on your sheet of paper. But I encourage you, if you're saying, I, I want to know some people and I want to be known. That's what church is about. Not just showing up on Sundays. And this, this is important. Resetting our hearts for the rest of the week. That's what this is about. Fixing our minds and our hearts on Jesus so that we can go into the rest of our lives. But we need something more than this. So we invite you to engage in those places. But I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and I just want to pray over us as we continue on in worship together. So, Lord, we thank you that you are the one who speaks. You are the one who initiates. You are the one who creates. You are the one who knows. And so for every person here, your sons and daughters, made in your image, made to reflect you, 
to know you, to be in relationship with you. Lord, if there's places that our hearts have become closed off to you because of wounds or pain or what feels like rejection or loneliness, Lord, I pray, give us the courage to make that turn back. You open the eyes of our hearts that we could see you more clearly. Like the sheep that know the shepherd's voice, that we could hear you call us by name and lead us forward. And Lord, if there's places we've closed our hearts off to others, whether that's in our own homes or in our, in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, may we be people that come from a position of strength and vulnerability Lord, that our wholeness and our healing comes from you, that we're not demanding or manipulating, striving to achieve something from somebody else that they can never give us. And Lord, if we've done that to somebody, may we seek forgiveness. And if that has been done to us, may we come to you in order to forgive. So Lord, however uniquely you're working in the the hearts in this room, we pray that we would be transformed in this space, encounter you in a powerful way, a miraculous way even right now. Heal our hearts, Lord. Heal our hearts, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.